Gather round, Chicago Bears fans, because on Thursday night, the Bears play what might just be the biggest remaining game on their schedule. I wish that was a joke, but yes, as they host the one-win Carolina Panthers, their future, their destiny is in their hands. Nick and I will take you through everything that just happened on Sunday, as well as everything you need to watch for against Carolina on this episode of Bear With Us. What's going on, everybody? My name is Robert Schmitz, editor-in-chief of Dub Bears Blog, here with my co-host Nick Whalen for another episode of Bear With Us, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert, and also Nick. And Nick, what a quick week we've got on our hands, coming right off the heels of a game where the Bears had it, they it, everything was right in their hands against New Orleans, and then all of a sudden... It was not anymore. What a funny result to talk about, right? Because I feel like people are taking a, a close loss where the Bears had a lot of opportunities to get back into it. And because of the, let's call it, style points issues of the offense in the fourth quarter, we're making this almost sound worse than it is. Am I being too optimistic? No, I mean, because you could either have in your mind like the last thing that we saw and you're like, oh, the Bears can lose to literally everyone <laughs> or you can look at the first half of the game and be like, the Bears could play with anybody. Like it's it's really going to be a tale of a lot of things. And I have some reasons for optimism, which I know we're, <gasps> we're more of an optimistic show. We're realists at times, but optimistic. But I have some reasons for that too. So, um, but Bear football is only going to happen in two days. So I'm excited for it. And what a game it is. I mean, obviously, we're going to get there. It's the Panther game. People have had this game circled because the Bears own that Panthers pick for, I mean, gosh, we've had it circled since before the season. But I do think that this Saints game, it has all of the earmarks of a game that Bears fans are just going to roll over and forget about because the Panther game is looming like it is, but we need to talk about it because there are a lot of storylines and information that I think we can pull from this game that are really, really important. But I know you picked a narrative that I want to start with because I completely agree with you. So let me just turn the mic over to you. What mm -hmm. you got? What was your big takeaway from this game? I mean, as much, and as part of this is I want to recognize that we have given this guy a lot of grief and then we kind of, you know, um, last year, this year, he's been injured. You know, he's switching positions. Is he going to get traded? Like all this stuff happened. And then Tevin Jenkins has just been a flat out stud. So mm -hmm. overall, when he's played this year, and we reference PFF a lot because it's an easy one to mark against other players that we don't watch. He's the fourth best guard in football. Last year, he was what top? three, I think guard in terms of PFF, but on, but against the saints, he was dominant. <laughs> I mean, dominant. Like if there was a debate as to whether, you know, is tackle right tackle or guard his best position, it's guard because he's one of the best in football. And right. He played so well, Robert, that it makes me wonder about what's going to happen with Tevin Jenkins a year and a half from now. But what thing. did you think of Tevin? No, I completely agree. I mean, not to mention, just saying here, if you're a nerd like I am, even if you're not a nerd, Tevin Jenkins has all of the makings of a team-friendly extension that could easily produce way, way, way more value on the field than it does in 
like Tevin Jenkins' pocket, which isn't me trying to steal from Tevin. It's more that Nick, no reasonable agent can take a player that has been so commonly off the field, so commonly in the trainer room, that has played so many different positions with very, very wide bands of success at when mm -hmm. he played tackle compared to when he's played guard. But this guy's an all-pro. Like the guy we saw in yes. New Orleans, that's an all-pro. And mm -hmm. I like to think I'm not going to just break out hyperbole for the sake of attention. Like Tevin Jenkins is pancaking people in the run game every single chance he gets. There's a screen play where uh, the Bears kicked it out. It's like a tunnel screen to, I've heard it called a jailbreak sometimes, to Darnell Mooney. That was Mooney, right? Right. And Tevin Jenkins comes out of his stance, and he's about to take the DB's head off across from Mooney. The guy has to pancake himself just to get out of the way, but it takes all 10 of his cleats off the ground, like full body in the air, just so that he can try to dive out of the way of oncoming number 76. And another thing you mentioned, because I've heard a lot of people that are taking Tevin's success at guard, and they're saying, well, why can't he play tackle? In my opinion, the phone booth at guard is doing wonders for his main kryptonite, his footwork. And you see it in pass rush reps, mm -hmm. where Tevin's feet don't slide laterally the way that a guy like, say, Braxton Jones, or even a more labored kickstepper like Darnell Wright might. But at guard, that doesn't matter. It becomes a boxing match, not an MMA brawl. Right. Does, does that comparison land where oh, I mean, he he's just I mean, he reminds me more of just this mauler type right. instead of this big tech like the outside zone scheme. I don't know is great for him. He might be better in this gap scheme where he's like, I'm just going to just destroy this guy in front of me. He can survive in the zone scheme because he's not on an island, which I think is what you're talking about. Right. And because edges can't make him or it, when he's on tackle, an edge can take him wide. Or that edge can start him wide and then cut back inside and test his ability to move his feet. In Inside, when he's playing guard, a defensive tackle ultimately has to go through him. There's not really going around a guard conventionally unless you beat their hands so quickly that you just knife past them and Tevin does not give those up easily. Another thing that I've seen that really helps Tevin is that he's so strong, the rules allow him to cheat. I'm sure you've seen this, Nick, but... Holding should, everybody's heard that, you know, holding happens on every NFL play, but the way I would argue that that gets carried out is that a defensive lineman has to earn a hold. Yep. If Tevin Jenkins is beat by, say, a linebacker, but Tevin sticks his arm out and simply ropes the guy back into his body and he wins the physical battle, therefore, most of the time the referee is going to actually keep the flag in their pocket. Like, if Tevin physically dominates, and Darnell does this too, if he physically dominates the guy on a play that is right on the line of holding, this is how the hug block became legal in Green Bay. And so there are tons of these plays where Tevin's physical brawn and the fact that if he's going to get beat, the guy has to fully clear Tevin's hands plays right into everything that makes Tevin Jenkins Tevin Jenkins. It's such a natural fit. I hope we don't keep talking about trying to move him off of guard. I I think you it takes work to draft a guard this good. Why would yeah. you want to replace oh my a guard gosh, this yeah. good? I mean like I mean cuz also when you think of like you were saying all pro, I mean Zach Martin has been the best guard in football for a long time, but he's what 32 33 like it, his it, it's going to drop off for him. And so 
I don't know that there's a better guard in the NFC right now. I mean, it's he's up there with a lot of them. And when he's on you're the field. seeing, you know, hopefully discount because of the injuries. I hope he wants to stay because of moving positions, how he got treated, I guess, last year. You know, I hope that it's been better recently. Um, and he's very, very different than Nate Davis. Honestly, like they're, they oh, could yeah. be polar opposite. But is he going to switch back to left guard? Once Davis is back and goes to right guard, I, I mean, it's going to be very interesting, <laughs> but we can just appreciate that, that Tevin Jenkins is a very valuable, maybe yes. the most valuable lineman on our team. I, I like what I see from obviously Darnell, Wright, Nate Davis. I mean, I can believe in what I've seen for years from him. Braxton we'll see, but it's nice to have some of these like cornerstone pieces on the offensive line. Oh, yeah. We haven't seen it in so long, Robert. Well, let's rapid fire through the rest of the offensive line real fast, if you don't mind. Let's talk about Darnell Wright. If you ask me from what I saw on tape, Darnell's left arm is still a massive problem. He's really working to hide it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, to be so plain with everybody, we're talking about a player who is soldiering on through what it clearly looks like a major AC sprain on his left shoulder. This is an injury that a lot of guys are just not gonna play through. Like, that is right up there with a torn labrum or with a high ankle sprain in many cases. Like, he cannot generate power out of his inside shoulder. And whenever the Saints defensive lineman tested him on that inside shoulder, he did everything he could with his right arm, with his feet, and with his just upper body and anchor to push the guy far enough inside that Bajit could leak out to the right. It actually worked a fair amount of times. But I got to tell you, Nick, this I'm just going to say I'm so excited that the Bears have a player that has enough tools in the toolbox to where even with a hand nearly tied behind his back, he can succeed. I'm a little worried about re-injury, but I'm knocking on wood because I'm not going to I'm not going to bring it up any more than I have to. It is I, I hope he gets healthy because he's well, been so promising. You know what I mean? Well, here's one thing, and this is tying a little bit into the matchup this week that's going to help is that Brian Burns, the guy that the Bears have tried to trade for for two years now, <laughs> unsuccessfully, is has been ruled out with a concussion. So the best pass rusher that they have, he's more of the, the speed, you mm -hmm. know, outside than go inside, but their best pass rusher is not going to play. So that's going to help Darnell Wright, Braxton Jones, and everybody else. And speaking of Braxton Jones, I thought he had maybe the most ho-hum game he possibly could have. I don't know what you saw, but at least when I went back to watch the tape, it's not like he had any standout plays. It's not like he had any standout plays in the negative. He he didn't kick out Carl Granderson like maybe some would have hoped he would have, but that's a really tough matchup out there on the edge. So I'm not surprised that he couldn't run block especially well, even though that was sort of his uh, M.O. last year. Pass blocking, he was fine, really only allowed pressure after about three seconds, but he didn't have any of those dominant reps that you see from like an Andrew Thomas or a Laramie Tunsil. So it's not like he's going to get a thumbs up, but it's also not like he's going to do the thumbs down, like a major mm. thumbs sideways, if you ask me. Yeah, well, I think you add in the penalties too, which he continued from early in the season to this last week of another false start. And he's, I don't know that he's building off of last year, but he's at least showing that he's not regressing, which is something right. for a fifth round of draft pick that could be your left tackle. So, you know, as much as we have to see what's going to happen with Justin Fields over this next, you know, eight games, we need to see what's going to happen with Braxton Jones because there's some good left tackles in this class. But that's, again, that's four spots. I mean, Nate Davis, whenever he comes back, right. and that it's either going to be left tackle or center, but I feel really happy about the offensive line and where it's oh, going to yeah. go. 
The funny part about Braxton Jones that it's just going to have to be a conversation for another time once we get more tape is that I would argue Braxton Jones fits into that same category as Montez Sweat, where it's a really it's a pretty good football player. But what he's good at is not the hallmark of the position. Like yeah. if Braxton Jones was right tackle and Darnell Wright was left tackle and you just mirrored the picture to where you were getting the same results as we've been getting from Darnell Wright, you get it right. Both players are playing exactly equally. They're just mm-hmm. on the other side. I don't think near as many people have problems with no. Braxton Jones. No, it's just the fact that he's playing left tackle and he mm-hmm. specializes as a run blocker. That's a get me over pass blocker that people yep. have issues with. What's the real upgrade amount from Braxton Jones to Joe Alt? And that's assuming Joe Alt is really good, right? It might not be as much as meets the eye, but anytime number 70 gives up a sack or a pressure on a major passing down, all anybody's going to think about is, deck gummit, why can't we have one of those elite guys, even yeah. though they give up pressure too? But they do. Well, Evan Neal, I mean, there's a lot of those guys that haven't hit and. One of the conversations Iquan too is, is what, struggling, it, isn't he? Like he's also in that yes. category. Yes. Well, I mean, you could debate that Braxton Jones is the best left tackle out of that rookie class last year Nothing's or easy. this year. Upgrading's never easy. Like mm-hmm. to me, there is definitely an aspect of upgrading at left tackle, Bears fan listening, that is more two in the bush than you realize. I mean, sure, there's not going to be an issue if, let's say, for instance, Nick, they draft Joe Alt and Joe Alt sucks, or they draft Olu Fashanu and somehow Olu doesn't work out, right? In theory, if Braxton Jones is better than him, Braxton Jones is going to play. No way. You draft a left tackle that high, he's playing, right? And it doesn't help anything that Braxton Jones is so long that kind of like Montez Sweat, he has the issue. He's not playing guard. You can't play Braxton no. Jones at center. Like, no. he is a tackle. And yep. that'd be a pretty good swing. It really would be. be. a great swing. But that is also a lot of investment at a position that can be helped with tight ends. It can be yep. helped with running back chips. It's such an interesting value conversation, but value well, is for nerds. And we'll get well, to that later. It also reminds me of Charles Leno, Robert. We just had this. We had this left tackle that was like, okay, you know, he had, he had, above average seasons he had below average seasons and he was this like value guy we had a left tackle but people are like well you can get better than him then he leaves and we haven't had better than him since i mean you could debate braxton jones and it's like you thought you could upgrade and you didn't and even you could just put veterans over there or however and sometimes that value guy is is good enough and the debate's going to come down to in my opinion it could be marvin harrison jr and braxton jones or is it going to be like Darnell Mooney and insert whichever left tackle you like better? Right. And maybe to, there that's a conversation we're just going to have to put a pin in for the sake <laughs> of a cohesive pod at this point in the week. Because thankfully, the Bears draft position is an awfully fun discussion because it doesn't even involve the Bears. The Bears win this week. They're improving their draft position. Yep. But to finish out the offensive line, I am constantly amazed at how much Cody Whitehair and Lucas Patrick can make problems for the Bears. I mean, I really expected Cody Whitehair's like last last gasp in the tank to be a little bit better, to be yeah. honest with you. But 
only so much you can do at this point. Lucas Patrick is somebody who I know you've been on all season long, and he's just tripping and falling all over the place. Bad. Like, much or a hold out of nowhere. Mm. Like you had the position, and then you just lost it. It's it's a bummer. But hey, the young pieces on the offensive line that we actually need for the future, they're playing really well. I see that as a massive positive. Do, do, so the only other question on the offensive line I have is this, Robert. With how bad Patrick and white hair are playing. Mm-hmm. Do you see Jatari Carter stepping in before Nate Davis is even back? Like at center? No, I, I left guard before Nate Davis is back. What is it like, man, let's put this kid back in and maybe he can do better. You know, I would think so. If we weren't talking about two veterans, you see this in hockey. You see this. You don't really see it in basketball. No, you kind of do. Andre Iguodala got a lot of playing time for the same reason. Coaches like vets. Coaches like the yep. guys that have been there. They will trust that Cody Whitehair has a better shot at getting it right than Jatiri Carter has a better shot at getting it right, even if it's clear that it that's not the case, right? And so especially a defensive-minded head coach like Matt Eberflus, and especially, especially a coach like Matt Eberflus that pulled Tyreek Stevenson, who I got to tell you, he earned it. I, I'm a big Tyreek guy. Oh, I, he, he looked sick. He looked hurt. He looked like something was wrong. Because I'll tell you, I've watched now, what is this, eight games of him professionally, and seven of them looked a certain way. This one was different. I don't know what was wrong. He, he made the injury report. Like He's been full practice both days, one of those being a simulation. Nick, I'm not going to speculate, but something looked really he got up after he got up after a tackle and looked like he was like hurt his shoulder or something but i don't know what he just got up weird then he wasn't holding his shoulder but he looked like something was wrong like like it could be sick could be injury could be didn't want to be there but just something was off with that honestly if you told me that he'd been up till 4 a.m the night before playing like street fighter 6 or something like that i'd believe you because he looked he he just looked slow at all levels but i'm not trying to make this is there a Street Fighter Six? There is. As a matter so, of fact, so that, that tells me you're a gamer. I don't even know that. I remember like the original Street Fighter on Sega, Robert. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But man, okay, there's a Street Fighter Six. There it is. I, I've learned something. I have another conversation about veterans later, but I think we should probably stay with the offense for now. Well, there we have to get into another major piece of this offense. And man, the moment I mentioned this, so like. We got to talk about the quarterback comparison because I think it's really interesting because what I saw on tape, if you don't mind me just jumping straight into it. No, no, you're good. I'm going to cross-reference a bunch of things. Everybody listening, hang with me because it's cool, but it's a lot. All right. So Ben Baldwin, first things first, I'm going to start here, listed out the amount of offensive series. So that's first and 10 to the conclusion of whatever happened. How often did they end up in a touchdown or first down? versus a field goal, versus a punt, versus a turnover. And would you believe it? The Bears were 11th best at converting a touchdown or a first down. Then they have a pretty meager field goal percentage compared to the uh, compared to others. They've got a pretty normal touchdown or punt percentage and they have the most turnovers in the league. Thank you Tyson. But so it it brings up this interesting notion Nick because to me you can see with Tyson Bagent very similar threads to what we've seen with Luke Getze. When it's on, it's on. When it's mm-hmm. off, oh, it's off. When yep. the defense adjusts, 
we ain't got nothing. When when we've got to get to plan B, God forbid we have to get to plan C, we are out. But that early game script, we saw this with Fields. We saw this with Bajent. Oh, it's pure. The Bears scored a free and easy touchdown against Tampa Bay, and they did not score again until the early fourth quarter. I don't even know if they got a, nearly a first down at that point. But it's interesting looking at this, seeing that the Bears' offense is more functional overall than a lot of offenses in the NFL, but that turnover percentage makes it clear that it's extremely frustrating. And then you look even a little deeper before I hand it off to you. Bajan and Fields are making very similar mistakes when they're passing yeah. on throws downfield that are open. And that has me wondering what Andrew Jencoco and, or I, I don't think that's how you say his last name, and I'm so sorry, Andrew, what the quarterback's coach, what Luke <laughs> Getze, what the wide receiver's coach are teaching these guys that both quarterbacks, young, absolutely, early in their offensive tenure within this offense, absolutely. But still, Nick, when DJ Moore's flying open on a flag route and Bajit doesn't throw it either, that makes me go, huh, I killed Fields for that. Why isn't he throwing it? Like even just yep. trying it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And that's, that's, uh, um, um, cause the first, one of the first games with Bajan, I was like, okay, he was coached into don't take any negative plays. Right. And then, you know, all of these interceptions have been happening. It's been happening over the middle of the field where fields is majority of his, in his interceptions coming from. Oh, over the middle of the field, over the middle of the field. So like, you must wonder if it's like, we we're not taking shots when they're there and we're also forcing it over the middle of the field. So you wonder if that's a part of coaching too, which is a little concerned your, um, your chart thing. The other thing that I saw from this, not this chart, but this, and then Pulling Aaron, Lemming, I'm sure you, yeah, no, it, it is. It's great stuff. You follow Aaron Lemming, right? Bear oh, report. Of course. Yeah. Aaron's Aaron's a great guy. He also said that the bears are top five in penalty percentage. So you add in penalties plus turnovers that's why Chicago's struggling in these games. It's not because they're not moving the ball because they are. Right. And when we compare, so right now we're going to compare the quarterbacks. We'll get to a contrast a little bit later because the contrast mm. is really interesting too, right? But it was also really interesting to me. So when people are going to think about Tyson Bajan, just because of the nature of who he is coming from Shepard, all this experience, I bet you wouldn't attach the word late to Tyson Bajan's play, but that's what he was on a lot of these reads. It and was weird. It, it is weird because it doesn't fit the archetype of what you expect from his play. And he wasn't late on a lot of this in the preseason. It's almost as if the more he's going through gameplay, <laughs> the tardier he's getting on some of these reads. And in particular, the first interception to Cole Komet, he looks at Komet, he looks back across the field to his left to Mooney, doesn't like either, looks back to Komet, and then misses the underneath defender. Like, that's an interception that can't be thrown. It's as rookie as rookie gets. Bryce Young had a not dissimilar set of interceptions against Atlanta early in the year. But Bajan has to wear the fact that these things are happening in week nine. And that makes everybody freak out. The throw to Mooney later in the game. The interception in the direction of Mooney, I should say. He's late. People yep. keep making this about arm strength. No, he's just got to throw it sooner. And Anticipation. 
interestingly enough, I don't know if it's an anticipation because I think Valus Jones runs the wrong route. Tyson's hanging on Valus Jones like he's supposed to run a curl route and Valus runs a go, puts his hand up like it's a male or like he's open. He's not open. It's one of the funnier reps that you'll see on tape, honestly. And it's as if Bayesian is so dumbfounded that he didn't run the curl that was, if you asked him, he'd say, that was still open when he mailboxed me. So then he looks back at Darnell Mooney, releases the ball late. He knows it too. And an NFL safety is just better than that. And you can't do Mm -hmm. that against them. Mm -hmm. And then on the final interception, I mean, that one I think he just missed. But also... Two two of them were behind as well. Well, so they, they end up behind. But I would argue that he's throwing to a spot and he's literally late getting it there. I got right? you. Okay. So, I, I mean, I thought he could let them both a little more and it would have been fine. He even easily could have. Yeah. But I'm at the very least, this is totally just you boys opinion, right? Yeah. I'm looking at both of those interceptions and I'm seeing he did throw it tardy. And if he throws it sooner, like on time, the spot he threw it to is the right spot. We're just late. And mm. I can't help but look at that. And again, He's a rookie. I don't blame him, right? This is normal. This is so normal. It's just kind of funny that Justin Fields made pretty much the same mistakes. The difference being Fields didn't throw these, right? He would just eat a sack. (laughs) And we'd get on to him about that too, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's wild. We talked about this on the last podcast after the game. The moment you think that a coach or a player or one of the units on this team that we're frustrated with is about to show us that, hey, maybe they've actually just been getting held back by everybody around them. No, no, the the passing game that Luke Getzey crafted for the Bears is not a standalone passing game, and that continues to boil them late in football games, regardless of who's at quarterback. And yeah. it's just frustrating seeing that be a shared issue, right? Well, well, and then and then you hear the press conference, which was what today or yesterday, where Getzi said that no matter who's in at quarterback, if it's Fields, they're not going to adjust anything. They're going to run the same stuff. Which, if you look at, and again, I think the two quarterbacks couldn't almost be more polar opposite. Where you have a right. young guy that's more based on accuracy and timing. You know, Fields, who's the athletic guy with the big arm that likes to take shots. And you can use him in the run game. Like those are two different offenses. And hearing him say that, hearing Flu say some things in press conferences doesn't give me any confidence that they, they, they truly know what's going on. The other thing that um I think is interesting here, Robert, because you're mm-hmm. talking about how, you know, I mean, Bajan, how much time has he had with these guys? I mean, now it's a couple of weeks, Very but that's still not a lot of time with, you know, how many plays you can get to in the playbook and timing is look at what happened with the Minnesota Vikings this week and with Josh Dobbs. I don't know if you <laughs> dove into that film at all, but that film was phenomenal. People that don't know, Josh Dobbs got traded just before the preseason, by the way, to the Cardinals and had to start games, then just got traded midweek to the Vikings because Kirk Cousins got hurt and didn't take a snap with the center, didn't. I mean, throw to any of the receivers at all, didn't run any of the plays, had to go in because um, Jaron Hall got a concussion. And and I think we talked about this in the last podcast. Like, they were literally telling him, like, I think the, it gets cut off at 10 seconds to go. Right. Hey, this is the reason where you go. But then the film, the feet were in the right area, at least. He was throwing with anticipation. He knew the concepts somewhat. I mean, there were some dimes he threw that they dropped, multiple that they dropped. And to me, 
that's the difference between a guy that's had a lot of NFL starts and experience versus what Bajan is. He's a rookie. Right. I can hear the QB school loyalty, and I love it, by the way. <laughs> uh, and it's so funny because exactly like you're talking about, I mean, we we will do this thing all the time. That So, look, I am going to try to always give any Bears fan both takes, right? Yeah. Here's what happened. Here's the context. And you could choose how much context you want to pour over the results to make yourself feel better, but there it's not always going to absolve bad results. I think all of us that are listening to this or speaking, including me, uh, know that you're not going to win many football games when you turn the ball over four times. It sucks that DJ Moore also had a fumble. Well, I'm not counting Moore's against Bajan. I'm I got you. Okay. Okay. When you personally turn the ball over four times and you could blame Valus for a bad route, but come on, man. You can't throw either of those three interceptions. And then the strip sack's going to happen. But if that's the only one, everybody's everybody's not frustrated. It's the fact that you had those three interceptions all individually, very perfectly normal rookie moments. But like, it, there's definitely an aspect of this where we have to be able to say Tyson Bajant lost that football game for the, yep. for the Chicago Bears. There's the, plenty the defense of, didn't lose it. Plenty of reasons why. Plenty of reasons why. And mm -hmm. it's so funny looking at these two quarterbacks, because it's not going to surprise you then, Nick, that despite the fact that Tyson Bajan and Justin Fields are in their own way achieving very similar results, often like a sparring team that just can't seem to get over the hill in the fourth quarter unless they absolutely dominate, it's not going to surprise you when I point out that Pro Football Reference has Fields' passing success rate as 38.7%. Not great compared to Tyson Bajan's passing success rate at 52.2%. Whereas, mm -hmm. so 50 fields, fields, is 29th out of 32 qualified quarterbacks in that success rate. But he, like a batter, like a Kyle Schwarber that hits like 180 and hits like 30 bombs, he's also 10th in yards per attempt, 15th in total passer rating because he's not committing these turnovers that Tyson Bajan, I remember I was looking at something EPA per play, Fields is like 31st, Bajan is like 35th, and you know it's not because of what happened on that first down and that second down and that first down and that second down and the third down that he converted with his legs. It's, you can't turn the ball over like Bajan has been turning it over and mm -hmm. look successful statistically. It's just not going to happen. But it's interesting looking at these two players, right? Seeing a rookie going through plenty of rookie moments, but he's a single hitter. Where at, er, and on the other side, you've got Justin Fields, who's a bomb dropper, and anything that isn't a bomb, it's a flyout or strikeout. A lot of strikeouts yep. <laughs> in the in the baseball metaphor. Yep. And 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 that analogy is perfect because it goes back to what we've talked about, which what they've been trying to make Justin Fields is a singles hitter when he's not. He's a guy that has the power and you're trying to make him sacrifice and bunt the guy over and try and hit the other way. And it's just like, what are you doing? No. Like you, you go ahead. Come on. There's something to be said for when we take a look at some of the best players in football, almost said baseball, the metaphor is going on too long. Uh, <laughs> we can see that Buffalo found a way to turn Josh Allen into a single producer. And Patrick Mahomes, that we people used to make the joke back when he just got started, when he was immediately winning MVPs, that it's like he impersonates Alex Smith to the count of two Mississippi, and then he re-becomes Patrick Mahomes, right? As much as we may make it sound like trying to take fields and teach him how to hit some singles is ridiculous, even Russell Wilson 
and the Seahawks found a common ground where through hitch routes and screens, the Seahawks could manufacture a, what what would you call it? Like a graduated run game, right? Like that part of your quarterback, a quick game would be the better sermonization. And so Fields does need to find that if he wants to be successful. But to your point, the ways they're going about it, like what I'm trying to say here is, no, the idea of baking the pie that way made sense. But the ingredients and the way that we created the crust and the way that we went about stuffing it and the temperature we tried to cook it at, this did not work. Wait, to me, it feels like it's like all or nothing. Like it's all efficiency in short game. And like, again, like you talked about with both quarterbacks, don't take the chances. And then when they need to in the fourth quarter, it's like, okay, take you throwing this over the middle, no matter what. And it's a pick like it's like, and it's not okay. Hey, cause what Buffalo did with Josh Allen, not successful earlier in his career, got Stefan Diggs and thrives, but they like, they molded the offense to him where he can still be him. And it's so funny how he doesn't care about his body, but he's just so big and strong. He's like, whatever, I'm going to, buy time and I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to be Josh Allen, Wyoming, where I have to make every play or Patrick Williams have to make every play. I'm going to hone that back a little bit. Like they found a common ground. I feel like there's no common ground here. It's like, you're going to be the quarterback I want in my offense and now I'm going to mold the offense to you. Yep. It's inflexibility. It's almost like a ha ha. See, that's why we don't do this because it doesn't work. Almost Mm -hmm. like vindictive and spiteful play calling at times, which it's really frustrating because that doesn't help anybody. But that's the quarterbacks. As far as which one plays on on Thursday, where are you feeling? I, I think it's got to be Bajent because I think DJ Moore was just too loud, if that makes sense. Like, this feels to me like gamesmanship. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm going to end up with the rug pulled out from under me. But if I was Matt Eberflus, I want Carolina to plan for Justin Fields, and I've been wanting Carolina to plan for Justin Fields ever since I listed Justin Fields as limited on, uh, what, last Tuesday, knowing he was not playing until after the mini-buy, but that's totally just the read I get. I mean, so he's been limited both practices this week. Um, He threw a little bit last week. I mean, you could say that because, I mean, he'll come back at full strength after the buy, but Matt Eberflus is playing for his job. Yep. And Tyson Bajan hasn't been getting it done the last two games. And I mean, again, you could even tie that back into Minnesota, made a poor, a poor deep ball choice to, to DJ Moore cost him the game too. And so it's like, do you want the game when you should win in this undrafted free agent rookies hands who's played well, or do you want it in your quarterback who again, boomer bust, but he's give you a better chance to win the game. So that's the issue. Right? Also without Brian Burns, which helps you. Exactly. I mean, so Nick, that's to me, that's where things get so muddy though, right? Because take the first round pedigree off of Justin Fields and you don't have to take the highlights away. Just don't talk about them like there's any sunk cost. And suddenly it's like, well, one of these guys has lost almost 12 fourth quarter games for Matt Eberflus at this point in Matt Eberflus's coaching tenure. The other one is a rookie that botched one or two of them so far. And I'm not saying... I'm not trying to make a sideways argument that I think Tyson Bajan is like better than Justin Fields. I'm wondering what is going on through Matt Eberflus's head. Because what you're saying, Nick, might be the sensible thing, but coaches aren't always sensible, are they? Well, let me tie this in. You had already talked about Cody Whitehair being at left guard mm-hmm. and because they value veterans. 
the same things happen at defensive tackle, and it doesn't make sense to me. Okay, right. so we both, we both, me and you, and I think all of Bears Nation loves Andrew Billings. Great signing. He's in there. He's making plays. He's our best interior D lineman. Our second best interior lineman is Javon Dexter, who's a rookie who's figuring it out still. But PFF says he's our back, second best interior D lineman. Our film watching says he's the second best interior D lineman. And then we look at New Orleans here. His snap count, Robert, he played 22% of the downs uh, in terms of on defense. Uh, Zach Pickens played 17%. And Justin Jones, who, again, a guy that's been disappointing. He had one good game, I think, Chargers or Raiders. He had one of those really good games. He played 79% of the snaps against the Saints. And again, didn't play up to what we needed him to. I mean, I would argue Dexter's the better player, and we need a win here. So if we tie the Cody Whitehair thing in, playing the veteran, we tie in the Justin Jones thing in, playing the veteran, why would Justin Fields not be the one that he plays? Because it is, again, the veteran. Oh, 100%. And I mean, I have no idea. Like, it, <laughs> the the only reason that they would play Bajant over Fields is if they somehow felt like playing Bajant and winning with Bajant gives them a little trophy. Like, the, the question becomes like, okay, so Nick, let's say that you were in the coaching room and you weren't about to be a mature adult of some kind, right? You're, you're now an immature coach that's trying to do everything that you can to keep your job. And one of these kids, winning gets you credit. The other one... Everybody on Twitter and everybody in the NFL media says, see, the dumb dingus coach finally got out of his way and let the hero win the game for you. Like, I do wonder if any of the media angle and the, let's not call it unwillingness, but the fact that if Fields does it like he did on Washington, everybody goes, finally, this is what we expected. Whereas yep. if Bajit beats, I don't know, the Raiders who looked terrible, in that yes. game. I mean, yes. you just have to call it like it is. And that Raiders team refused to win in its own way. Matt Eberflew mm -hmm. suddenly looks like, oh, the coach that led an undrafted rookie to an NFL win. Yep, yep. And, and I just can't help but wonder if in Fields' case that plays in, and then in Jalen Jones versus Tyreek Stevenson and Gervin Dexter versus or Gervon Dexter versus Justin Jones. No, we're going to go with the veteran because that's what we do. Like different rules, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very murky situation. But at the same what? time, it's also weird because we don't have the x-rays, right? No, <laughs> like, no, no. No, we don't. We don't know how they're in meeting rooms or leadership. I mean, there's all that stuff too. But I to me, thumb. it's just at least interesting because we all can see that Justin Jones isn't. Make it a 50-50 split. 100%. That would still help on the field more. I tend to think so. I mean, I do think that there is, if there's one piece to this that I will throw out there, it is that sometimes Gervon, does, he fights well at the point of attack, but that doesn't mean that he covers his gap or it's yeah. tough to tell what his assignment is. And it's good to see him brawling. But mm -hmm. if, for instance, they're doing, say, like some kind of, I'm going to use Friday Night Lights terms, like a Texas twist or like a, a run stunt and Gervon doesn't do his part, we wouldn't know. In all cases, but that's going to end up with two guys in the same gap. Maybe yep. they think Justin Jones, who's been a little quicker when it comes to stunts, handles that better. But I am totally, totally just trying to find the logic in why the coaching staff isn't doing what I think is the obvious thing to do. Not trying to support them in that. 
I think mm-hmm. I think our stance on this coaching staff has become pretty clear over yeah, the course. Well, of- I mean, I think they're about saving jobs right now. They're not about, I think, developing the young players, which is what we all kind of want Chicago to be. Right. Um, so speaking I, of young players, do you want to do you want to chat about your corners? Because I mean, you you've watched that a lot more than I have. I'm kind of right. curious. Well, so it was so funny watching the DBs in this one because again, I don't know what was going on with Tyreek Stevenson, but as somebody who loves him. I also might have considered benching him just because he was non-competitive. I don't know what was going on. I have no idea what was going on. But normally he competes and loses. He can pitch guess and end up wrong. In this one, he just could, he could barely play at NFL speed. It looked like around the second drive, he got his left ankle stepped on really hard by TJ Edwards. And I wonder if that affected him. But I don't want to cut him slack that I can't, again... Here's the context on the football field. It was dreadful, Nick. It was dreadful. Hmm. And we like, they're probably tagged him with four or five loafs to go with a lack of competitiveness on his routes. And the worst part is, is that it's not like he was picked on that much because the defense allows you to target, say TJ Edwards or Jack Sanborn or Kyler Gordon. Kyler Gordon's going to have to face Chris Olave one-on-one in a fifth of the field, an entire fifth of the field to the count of three and a half. And of course, Chris Olave is going to win that battle. Good luck. It was interesting seeing uh, Kyler as they did get Jalen Jones on the field. He took back over that Kenny Moore role where he was nickel corner. When the when the Bears were in base or when the when the Bears were in nickel, he was the nickel corner. When the Bears kicked out to base and brought Noah Sewell onto the field, then Kyler shifted outside and Jalen Jones left the field. So clearly, they see Kyler Gordon as their call it CB three, which I do think is great because hey, that's an interesting way to take a second round pick and use him to fuel quality depth across your roster. But as I can't I can't help but think, okay, so do you have anything to say about that? Because there's a specific linebacker I think we got to talk about. Well, I, I think that I think nickel corner is like one of the most underrated positions mm-hmm. right now in the NFL. I mean, that and I don't want that to be like a hot take, but like it just they have to do so many things. They have to work with so much space, so much traffic, stop the run, blitz, cover slot wide receivers. Cause you look at so many good wide receivers. Where do they put Adams, Justin Jefferson? All these guys, they put them in the slot. Why? Because those guys suck at coverage. Mm -hmm. And so if you can have a plus slot defender there, and that's his permanent role, I think that's such an asset for a team. But it's a really hard position to learn. So I think Gordon's kind of going through it a bit. But I think the idea is if that can be a plus guy and you have your interior linebackers as good coverage guys, you really are like making the floor so much higher for your defense. I agree. And the complicated piece about nickel corner is because I remember I actually did a research analysis at one point on like the market. Uh, the problem is, is that you get guys like Nickel Roby Coleman. They can play on veteran minimum salaries and turn in really great seasons as nickel corner. So bargain basement players, right? Fifth rounders, sixth rounders. Bryce Callahan was undrafted. Kenny mm-hmm. Moore was undrafted. They'll just come in and play phenomenal nickel, like nickel position. It's like, it's like theoretically you and me, Nick, because we're football minded could make the argument for how important a great punter is, but that doesn't mean that it's cost effective to draft one in the second round because yeah. of how, how hard it is to find a good one. There are plenty of nickel corners that have not worked just like how there are plenty of high drafted safeties that have not worked. But mm-hmm. Hey, given that he's already on the roster, Kyler is 
a real, I think a really fun ad and I'm excited to continue seeing him grow. If there yeah. is a piece to the coaching that has to be addressed, Jack Sandboard looked awesome. He did. And I don't know why Tremaine Edmonds has not looked equivalently awesome within the same coaching staff. I mean, it's less about Tremaine Edmonds, who I've gone to bat for more than once. It's more talking about Nick. If I told you the Bears, according to some data by Arjun Menon, uh, who's all over Twitter, he did a spending analysis based on defensive EPA per play, which is roughly, roughly how much like value are you giving up on a play-to-play basis on defense? And if I told you that zero defenses are allowing a positive EPA per play when they are spending at least about $108 million on defense, except the Bears, who are at the level of defenses spending about 100 or less while they spend $120 million in this year, would that shock you? Uh, so, so they're, they're playing just so poor they, enough. They are much worse than any defense in their spending category. And there's gotcha. their defensive production matches teams that are well below the average waterline. Uh, despite the fact that their defense is performing at a like bottom five EPA per play result. So, so was this before the Montez sweat signing or after? I actually don't know. Because, <laughs> like, you add it up together, like, okay, you got Edmonds and Edwards, that's like 25. Jackson's like, what, 15? No one else costs anything in the secondary. It looks like it's by cash, not cap hits. And Montez Sweat hasn't been paid much cash up to this point. The signing bonus would be cash, wouldn't it? The signing bonus would, uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, I, think I don't know, but I mean, either, either, either way, uh, to me, it looks like Sanborn is... There's a couple things. One, he's aggressive. Yes. And I, I think Edwards is not aggressive. Or mm-hmm. Edmonds is not aggressive. Edwards is. Um, but Edmonds also, I think, <laughs> it's just different. You're a first-round pick. You have this big money deal. You kind of play like to not get hurt. And I think Sanborn is like playing for his life every play. I also can't help but think that some of this comes down to the fact that the Bears can't run Tampa 2. And the entire value add for a guy like Tremaine Edmonds is running Tampa two, where yes. he's going to play that like pole runner linebacker safety role. And so when, when what is a sandboard who doesn't like, he's not that exceptional. A pole runner doesn't have to run the pole all that often. He's yep. just going to attack. He's just going to salt downhill and make stuff work. And he has experience in the defense, but it's just, I'll tell you, Nick, it, it just bothers me. Every time I see stuff like this, because there are so many that have said, and they're not wrong to say it, that the Bears spent a lot on this defense. It's not a matter of whether they spent it in the proper places, because I don't actually think it's a defense of the Bears to say, well, they spent it all on linebackers, but they still don't have a defensive line. And, like, was that supposed to be a good plan? I mean, well, like, I mean, like in my mind, you could have Sanborn at Mike right now, and then you could have Zach Allen as another D tackle. You could. You could very easily have done that, but instead you didn't. Instead, yep. you said this guy's better than them, and you drafted another inside linebacker in Noah Sewell that could have been ILB three if you needed to. In that world where you where you sign a Zach Allen, you sign a I don't know Draymond Jones. Like I'm trying to think of guys and cast the net wide so that yeah, we don't yeah. just pick our favorite. You know what I'm I saying? It. I get it. Yeah. But even so, man, it's just. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a 
young player that has played well and he's going to be on the bears for another two and a half years at a minimum. Like it's still a good right. thing, but you're like, you have all these chess pieces and it feels like we're playing them in incorrect areas. Matt, I like the players that I can't say this enough. The players, I like them. I am excited for what I hope to be the next coaching staff uses them, but the coaching staff and the way we deploy them on the chessboard really bugs me a lot. Yeah. And it feels so, like, so, so would you prefer Edmonds at week? Well, I think Edmonds just needs a different scheme, man. Like look at the Roquan Smith transition. I basically think you need to take Edmonds and sever him from the run fit near as often as possible. So like the modern, the, if you look at Roquan Smith, he's basically a chase down pursuit linebacker that mostly plays safety, right? Like not literally, but it's like this robber safety linebacker spot instead of having to fly up the field and hit the a gap. He's got a separate linebacker that goes and hits the a gap for him. And instead the bears have the old style of linebacker disbursement where you've got the same guy who's going to run the pole. That's going to hit the a gap. And it just doesn't work for what Edmonds wants to do. I mean, yeah. I would literally look at you, Nick, and I'd be like, I would change defenses. And before it's, I would well, change but, Edmonds and here's, and here's what's phenomenal is the run defense is amazing. It's Despite really good. This. Andrew Billings had another boss week on the ground. No yeah. surprise. Like it's like that. That's the thing for hope. And we talked about this with Montez sweat too. Like he still played well from numbers wise and film wise of like you had another good guy in the run. And it's like, man, maybe we could just have all our linebackers not care as much about the run. Cause the D line is taking care right. of their business. Right. Right. Now. And now we're a little short on time just because of the quick turnaround got the all 22 stream later that uh, you will, it will already have been posted by the time this gets posted. But mm -hmm. Nick, I know you did some work on the draft order. Yeah. Take me through it. So, yeah. So, so real quick. So the NFL draft order, I mean, people look at tankathon, I think all the time now, which, you know, it's what our season is at this point. So one thing to think about is right now, if the season ended, people are like, well, the Cardinals would have the first pick. Yes. And no. The Cardinals have played one more game and have one more loss. If we look at strength of schedule, which is what determines it. So if your strength of schedule is harder and you have the same record, you have a later pick. You don't have an earlier pick. So if the Panthers played another game and lost, which they should, they have a lower strength of schedule. So the Bears would have the first pick. So that's something to keep in mind as this kind of goes about is that the tie that goes to the runner, the runner is Carolina right now. So that's one thing. And so again, Arizona, Carolina, both one win. Chicago, New York, and the Patriots all have two wins. And I looked at all five schedules remaining because, mm -hmm. okay, what, who plays easy opponents? And to me, easy is those teams. And then I kind of put below average, average, above average, right. and elite. So to me, the Giants are probably our biggest concern because they play Eagles, Dallas, I think another Eagles again or Dallas again at some point. And they only have, every team plays one easy opponent. Chicago plays two. Arizona and Carolina, as we know, they all play at least four games of easy and below average. And then the Patriots actually have um, a few games where they play um, a couple above average teams more than the consensus. So who have you got me, that's the third and fourth easy to below average on Carolina? I think their schedule looks pretty daunting to me. I mean, they play Green Bay, right? They're bad. So that's two. So I, I put them in like the below average area. Right. hundred percent. I'm saying, because um, let me look at Tampa and Atlanta. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just no, right good. there with you. And I've seen some of these teams like, okay, so let's talk about the bears schedule. 
Go ahead. Well, 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 hold on. Let's stay with Carolina. So I have Tennessee is below average. Mm -hmm. I have Green Bay below average. Mm -hmm. And then I have Atlanta below average. The new Levis, Tennessee feels kind of spicy to me. But Atlanta, I'm right there with you. They should have the ammunition. They should have the ammunition to put uh, to put a team like Carolina away. But we've been saying that for weeks. And, <laughs> yeah. What? And then you could debate. Debate. They play Tampa twice. I put Tampa as average, but you could yep. debate where they are depending on what Tampa yep. team shows up. So like that's where it kind of gets in there. And then the other thing with Carolina that helps is they play Tennessee at Tennessee. Right. They play Tampa. Well, they play both twice. Doesn't matter. New Orleans at New Orleans, Jacksonville at Jacksonville, and then Atlanta and Green Bay are home. So that, that part doesn't help. But to me, I think that their schedule isn't as easy as Chicago's, I would say, because I think Chicago is going to win a couple of games here moving forward. I don't know if they really have a choice. I mean, we'll see. I am way more optimistic on the Kyler Murray led Cardinals than I think some might be. That's the other thing. Because I, Kyler, I think, is going to hit the ground running. The Cardinals, as much as we may say that the Cardinals are tanking, again, the front office might be. Jonathan Gannon is not. And he's had no. these guys playing ball. And it's awesome that Josh Dobbs scored 28 points the moment that he got out of Arizona. But that doesn't mean he was throwing the ball well when he was a Cardinal, especially in the middle of games. And Kyler yep. Murray should be an objective upgrade there. The other thing to this, the Cardinals' schedule gets a lot more winnable starting this next week. They've got the Texans, absolutely. But and I'm going off the top of my memory here. So this could no, be I, I got it. I got it. Atlanta at Houston, home against the Rams, at Pittsburgh, home against the Niners, at Chicago, at Philly, against Seattle. It's that Rams game. It's that Falcons game. It's that Bears game. And it's a couple others that I keep looking at, man. And I'm like, ooh, I don't know. They, the Cardinals could easily win those. And it's a funny conversation to have at this point because as much as, so in my opinion, as heavy as the Bears injury report is, because you look at it and you see 12 names, I feel like the Bears are a relatively healthy organization. Now, it doesn't help anything that right now they're still down their starting quarterback. And if you did that to nearly any football team, they would freak out. Like that counts like what, five position player injuries? Yeah. in the majority of organizations. Mm -hmm. But so that that doesn't help anything. But you look at a loss like Brian Burns and worse, I say this tongue in cheek, the fact that Bryce Young has remained healthy and that is not helping the Carolina Panthers win football games. I thought no. without a doubt their most competitive offensive performance was against the Seahawks in a loss led by Andy Dalton. But I well, and and all I mean also just add in there so CJ Henderson is out. For Thursday as well. I think he has a, a concussion. Uh, see, DJ Shark is is DMP right now. The few other guys that are DMP, but they have two starters out on defense, and that team is already not good. Right. Exactly. It's the Panthers are bad. I mean, like, I would say, I would say I, that sounds like such a Bears fan thing. Can you hear me gesticulating and panicking as I try to come up with a nicer way to say this? Because it doesn't sound like Hardcore analysis, and yet, man, when you serve up two two pick sixes in a game that otherwise you'd held Gardner Minshew to under 150 passing yards on a day where you absolutely should have been more competitive than that, I can't help but look at that team and say, this team is just not, they are not built to yep. stack wins. 
Like, mm-hmm. how do the Bears beat you? By getting their run game moving and allowing Tyson Bajan, who I don't know if you know this, but Kevin Fishbane posted that Tyson Bajan, I'm not trying to defend Bajan more than it's worth, but Tyson Bajan, per True Media, in quarters one, two, and three, yes, chuckle all you want, has the fifth best EPA per play in ball over the last three weeks. Which really? It is shocking. But it's because... He's just moving the ball relatively efficiently. It's a stat. He's fifth in a stat. I think it was yeah. EPA per play, but you can go look at his Twitter feed if you want to fact check me while I ramble. It's more to All say right. that when the Bears are hooked to their run game, when they can let their run game lead and pass off the back of it, they can play efficient football. And like we saw in Las Vegas, just run you over. But mm. the moment you have to decouple the passing game, the moment, you have to decouple the passing game and let that thing live and breathe on its own. Oh, it di- it dies immediately. Like it's just it's just dried up and sad. You know what I mean? So I mean, yeah. Just I mean, I'm not going to go quick into the numbers like I was or as deep in the numbers. I'm going to be a little quicker with it. Just overall, the Panthers team. Okay, so in terms of defense, I mean they're a bottom third defense, just like Chicago is. They're pretty much both parts equal in terms of just bad against the pass and bad against the run, which is different with Chicago. Um, offensively, again, not good. Like they're the fifth worst overall offense. I mean, you guys already can tell Bryce Young struggling. Uh, running the ball, they're a, a little better running the ball than they are passing the ball. But this is a team that just struggles overall. And right now they're struggling to stay healthy. And the tough part with that with the team is you wonder about their hope because that's the one yes. thing Arizona has is they upset Dallas. And they've been playing with some teams and they get Kyler Murray back and they actually, they might get James Conner back too, which they have hope and some fight in them. And I don't see the fight out of Carolina right now. And like, you don't have these crazy stories. Like Jonathan Gannon was somebody that everybody pegged as a one and done back in when we do this media swirl where somebody whispers something and then a oh, bunch of media Did you see the videos, Robert? He looks like a nerd. Oh right. my gosh, the players aren't believing right. him. And then boom. You go you go one person makes a joke and then somebody takes that joke and writes it. And then a third person takes it as a literal quote and you start to spill this like telephone chain into yep. the whole NFL community thinks that Jonathan Gannon's a one and done. No, these guys care. And mm-hmm. I know that the Cardinals fans might disagree, but I bet you the Cardinals coaches absolutely want to finish the year 500 if they could choose to. Not 500 overall. I'm saying in their last, what, eight games, they would want to be 500 if they could be. And I hope they pull it off. I mean, they, the they're, only, they're, they'll have a better record than Carolina will. The I'm only game, that. the only game that is truly out of reach for the Cardinals is also a divisional game. And I'm a huge believer in divisional games being weird. In the NFL, like most of the major upsets that I have seen come from a divisional opponent taking it, taking it to a team that they have no business being tight with, but they do because they get, they know the Niners or something Mm -hmm. like that. But that's all just conjecture. I'll tell you, I feel a little uncomfortable with the bears draft results at this point, if only because I am a believer that while they probably would take quarterback three, I hope this isn't some massive revelation. Well, I think they probably would draft a new quarterback under nearly any circumstance. Like, I tend to think that it only makes the most sense if they have a top two pick. And to get that top two pick, 
even just to it's not to secure the Bears future. If you're big on Justin Fields, they could swing a second DJ Moore trade the moment they get a top two pick. And the easiest path to doing that is to beating the Panthers this weekend yes, uh, or not yeah. this weekend in two days. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, if you weren't already rooting for the Bears, root for them now. Because, oh, oh, yeah, this is a well, just pure odds. The Panthers have one win and the Bears have two wins. So if you want yeah. to separate the Panthers from getting less wins, that's it. One, one thing that is helpful we haven't touched on here is the Bears injury report quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they get some guys back. So Equinemius yep. Brown is back full participant off that hamstring. Khalil Herbert is back off that ankle injury that we saw, which just sucked. Your boy Tyreek Stevenson is full participant off that ankle both days, which is good. Um, Cole Komet had a weird DNP with a knee on Monday, but he's back to full participant today. That helps. We talked about fields was limited. Jaquan Brisker is back from his concussion, full participant, Josh Blackwell, full participant. The guys that are likely going to be out here, Terrell Smith. We all already know that with mono Tremaine Edmonds hasn't practiced with that knee. Nate Davis hasn't practiced this week. And then Kari Blast game with his concussion. Right. And so the bears pretty much have their full complement. Their only hope is that. Washington, that what happened to Washington does not happen to them, right? A game where you would think the Bears, like, because Washington was a game where I think many of us thought that the Bears were going to fall to 0-5 in pretty emphatic fashion. And at that point, yep. we were thinking Eberflus might get fired. And so yep. Thursday nights, man, they're weird. <laughs> like, they're they're ugly football games. So yep. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do think it'll be very, very interesting. It'll be awesome. I th- and fun, in my opinion, to see the Bears in a slugfest against a team where I think they... <sighs> Am I a homer, Nick, for saying that I think the Bears have a very realistic shot at looking like the outright better team? I mean... Oh, yeah. I pa- I think the Bears win by two scores. Yeah. Like, I think there's a chance the Bears just control this game. Like, yep. all the offenses that are struggling against the Bears, to go back to the... Uh, the drive success is data that I was looking at just a little while ago. I mean, mm-hmm. the Colts, for instance, are 26th in consistent drive success. The Texans are, would you believe it? Oh man, I'm going to find them at some point. They're in here somewhere. They're 12th. The Bears convert more touchdowns and first downs than the Texans do. Like just according to the way that their numbers were. And, and Cincinnati, the they're better than Cincinnati too. Which again, right. Cincinnati struggled earlier in the year, but still. It's it's more to point out that this Panthers team can't seem to move the ball and they may have an easier time doing it against the Bears. But if Bryce Young lofts one out to the side, some corner is running it back because those opportunities are there. Well, and, 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 and you have your whole secondary back. This is the first time you got mm-hmm. Eddie Brisker, Gordon and both corners. You have true. the design back. I am really upbeat. And the only reason that I may not sound really upbeat, if you're like, really, Robert? Because usually when you're upbeat, you sound a little more pumped. It's because the Bears have taught me over five years that it's these <laughs> moments that can hurt the worst. And I mean, it's it's funny stuff because like you talked about the tiebreakers. Okay, so let's get doom and gloomy, but let's go there, right? It makes more sense for the Bears to be your contender for the number one overall. It makes more sense for the Packer, Panthers. Man, over three strikeout. It makes on. more sense for the Panthers to be your contender for the number number one overall because not only do they have more losses already, but their tiebreaker in a tied situation pushes them down the draft order first. Whereas the Bears, to your point, Nick, the Bears could be one of eight, four and 13 teams for all I care, and they will pick at the top of that heap 
So the Bears pick, the Bears are the easier team to give the extra win to, given that you have to give a win to one of these. If you wanted to go for optimization, like a big nerd, all you big nerds out there, you want the Bears to win for more reasons than just lock in number one, but also because the Bears are your better tiebreaker horse. And so on the football field, I see the Bears winning. I don't see the Panthers as having the horses. The horses that they would have had are hurt. That's not even a joke. And the Bears are home, Robert. Yeah. Like everything, everything about this game comes up Bears, which is. Well, what's your score prediction? Because I'll go into like why I think my score prediction. What's your score prediction? Because you've already did your why a little bit, I think. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go with. uh, I'm going to go with. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get aggressive, okay, Nick. I'm gonna pick something that I really do think will happen, and if it does happen, I'm gonna run around like a raving idiot, yelling about how smart I am. But I think the Bears win a resounding thirty to ten. Like, I mean, I think you get I think you do get multiple turnovers that flip the field for Chicago. I'm assuming it's Tyson Bajan. I don't know if Carolina has the horses to challenge Bajan enough and to move him out of the run game that they want to, that they want to keep going. And so it wouldn't surprise me if you see basically the Raiders game, but again, and the bears, especially if they're running the football, man, I mean, you've seen it, Nick football is like experiencing a car crash. I mean, they talked about it on the quarterback franchise and somebody brings it up every year. Thursday, the wear gets to you faster. And if you can hammer the other team on the ground, I have seen a lot of teams, I'm looking at you, Lions, on Thursday night, uh, just grind the other their opponent into dust with an early dose of a quality yep. run game. And that's happenstantially yep. the Bears' plan. So I really think this game favors them. And I don't want to get exposed, but that's what I see. What are you? Well, the, the, the number that I have down is similar to yours but a little better <laughs> in, ter- in terms of a little more extreme. So again, we, we don't ever, we don't talk about this. We don't ever share these. We, don't share. we write it down and then we, we share it. So <laughs> here's what I think. And I don't care who's that quarterback. The Panthers are a bad football team. The, I don't think the bears are good, but the bears are better. And I would say in every area, like I can't think of an area that Panthers are better at than Chicago. And that's not me being a Homer. That's me being, honest because that team Panthers not downer. Talented. What's up? <laughs> I said it's us being huge Panthers downers. Like I mean they, they're injured. They they don't have hope. I mean the Bears have more hope than they do. And the Bears don't have a lot of hope. And they th- there's not a lot of fight in that team. I mean they they won uh the other week but it was just surprising. And so the Bears are home. I have Chicago winning 34 to 13 and I think that you talked about the pounding them on the ground. You have Kula Herbert back. He's fresh legs. If he's healthy, he has fresh legs, which helps. You have St. Brown, who's going to help, again, in blocking and other things more than I think Tyler Scott has done. That's going to help out screen game, run game, everything yes. there. I think that you talked about, or we both talked about these D tackles they didn't utilize. They'll be more fresh to stop the other team's run. And I, I just think that we're the better team. And I think we're going to honestly blow them out. I, it feels that way. So I hope that's what happens. 
because you never know two strip sacks to nobodies. I mean, it would be very bears in my own experience. This is too much experience talking. Actually, Nick, it would be too much experience for the bears to face a defensive line that I believe the starting three, like edge rushers and nose tackle. Cause they run a three, four like that. They, they haven't amount counted for a sack put together yet. And suddenly they could get two strip sacks because that's just the Chicago way. So, so which, which would be more shocking? So week one, when Green Bay beat Chicago, would that was that more shocking? Or if the Carolina Panthers just flat out beat, even if by one, Chicago on Thursday, which one would be more shocking? Oh, man. Um, I still think week one was an absolute stunner. Just because, again, I didn't expect to bring, bring the Q word up in week one I of know. a football season. Uh, week one was such a death spiral. Because the Bears right now with the Panthers, I'm with you. That's like a 9 out of 10 on the shock scale, right? Super, super shocking. You just picked the other <laughs> extremely shock. You picked a game that the Bears are still feeling reverberations from right now and will throughout the rest of the season. Like, I will go to nearly my grave at this point making the case that that game and that game alone killed the Bears season, killed it dead yeah. on the spot. The, but the, yeah, you know, I was going to, I was going to tell the lines, go ahead. You can finish your thing. Go, I, I, no, I, go for it. Go ahead. for it. I don't, I, you, everybody knows everybody's lived that feeling. I don't need to talk about that game. Anymore. Yeah. You don't, it just hurts, man. Like, let's not go there. That's <laughs> be, our listeners have PTSD, Robert. We need I to, you know, <laughs> so, so the bears are three and a half point favorites, which is significant. Um, and 62.7% they'll win outright per whatever some something that they have. So that that's better than I mean some other spreads. I mean Colts the Colts Patriots game, Saints Vikings game, Green Bay Pittsburgh, Titans Tampa, 49ers Jags, Cardinals Falcons, Detroit LA Chargers and Jets Vegas. The the Bears spread is better than all those games. That's hilarious. Now, Nick, I'm going to hit you with one on the spot question, and then we got to close up shop. All right. How much, how many games do you think the Bears have to win to be in the in the hunt graphic come December 1st? December 1st. That's how many games? That's what? Three games? Probably like three games at this point. The Bears have to win two games. Two games. They would be four and eight. And they'll be at the very bottom of the in the hunt graphic. I like it. I, I really do. Because <laughs> I think you're I right. Mean, it would just be nice to not be eliminated. You know? <laughs> That's such a low bar. Bargaining. Bargaining by Nick Whalen. <laughs> you, you know, you know the the craziest they talk about crazy NFL stats all the time, you know. Well, one of one of my favorites is Jerry Rice had 22 touchdowns in that 12 games sh- shortened strike season. That's shocking. The most right. shocking one is Tom Brady. Never took a snap as a starter with his team eliminated from the playoffs. That's wild. He had a long career. He had a long career. I mean, I mean, why can't we just have one season like that, Robert? We're not eliminated. Man, this just probably isn't the one. <laughs> no, this is this is not, this probably I mean, isn't the one. <laughs> unless Luke becomes Dan Campbell, this isn't the one. I mean, oh, even then, like it's so uh, the whole separate podcast. 
whole separate podcast. I just have to leave it at that. Anyways, thank you guys so much for checking this out. Yeah, yeah I bet you're shocked I really left it there. I love, I love, because you know you want to go there. Like, I got to cut it off. I do. I do. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. Please leave us five-star reviews on whatever podcast channel you're listening to. We appreciate all the feedback. If you know something that's working that you're like, please do more of this, email it to us. If you're like, I hate this, fix this send it to us. We want to make this the best Bears podcast that we possibly can. Nick, obviously it's a short week. We'll be right back with you guys uh, after the Thursday night game. I cannot believe how late those things make us stay up for, but we will do it. We will do it because we love you guys. What, Nick, do you have coming up between now and Thursday, if anything? Now and Thursday, uh, I'm going to get a couple workouts in and that's it, man. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Because my, my, my article doesn't come out till Friday. So I, I was about to that. say, I was like, that's not, nope. that's too late in the week. It <laughs> is. We'll talk about that one on Thursday night. Uh, Bears fans, catch my uh, the replay of my stream from last night if you're into a film study that's as much a coffee break as it is anything else. And until next time, Bears fans, Bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with us.